Welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network, coming to you from the TeacherCast studios since 2011. Join us each week as we bring you the latest educational news, ed tech updates, and hottest interviews with today's most influential leaders in education. And now, for your host, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Teacher Cast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to the Jeff Bradbury Show. If you are a podcaster, speaker, author, presenter, anybody out there building their EDU brand as an educational content creator, this is the show for you. Welcome to episode number 27. My friends, it has been a great 2021. I hope you're enjoying it. We've been doing some great things over here on the buildyouredubrand.com website. Have some great blog posts, putting out some good things on our network. And I am so excited today to present this episode. Really, you never know where you're going to find your next episode. I want you to remember that, guys. No matter if you're doing your blogs, your podcast, your anything, it is all about what you do with your content. It is all about how you share yourself. It is all about getting out there, putting yourself out in public and saying, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, and most importantly, this is what I can do for you. My guest today is certainly no uh, stranger to that. I am so excited to bring you today's interview with our guest, Mark Lineweaver. He and I met a few weeks ago when he was actually giving a presentation for the school district that I work at. And I heard him perform and present to these high school kids all about the importance of building your brand, building social media, making sure you choose your right college. And guys, you want to check it out. A little bit long episode today, but everything that Mark says is absolute gold. I hope you have a chance to take out your pen and pencil and check out those things because it is an absolute gem. I want to say thank you up front to all the great stuff that Mark did for us today on the show. And uh, yeah, we, we talked a lot about some different topics here. So stick around for the rest of the show. Hope you guys have a chance to enjoy it today. But before we get there, I want to share with you guys some of the great information about podcasting and why it's important for you guys to create your own podcast. So many people these days are reaching out to me and asking about podcasts, how we got started, how do you do it? And, you know, this morning before coming on the uh, recording today, I had an opportunity to work with not one but two high school classes, a uh, teacher reached out to me recently and said, my students are going to be performing or uh, creating podcasts in the, and uh, I think it's the WRTI or the NPR. That's what it is. The NPR podcast student challenge. And would I wa- uh, help out their students and give them some pointers, give them some tips and tricks on how to start a podcast. And I got to tell you, first of all, thank you to the teacher who allowed me to come into their, their classrooms at eight o'clock in the morning. We started off by just having conversations. Of course, it was interesting. We started off with, hey, guys, how you doing? And I got literally thumbs up with frozen microphones. And after the first couple seconds, I started to address them by name. I started to have fun with them. What you doing? What's your favorite color? Just asking them some nonsense questions, doing some follow-ups, and really getting the chance to see them open up, smile, and then that's where the magic began. We did about an hour each class, had a great time. And if you guys are interested in doing anything like that, I would be happy to reach out to your classrooms and check out the great things that your guys are doing. It's all about communication and conversations here on the Jeff Bradbury Show. It is, after all, how you build your EDU brand. Before 
I get to my guest, I do want to give an important shout out to somebody out there who I know is listening. A good friend of mine, Dan. I'm not going to say his last name. No, I'm going to say his last name. Dr. Dan Krinas is a good friend of mine, works with me at my school, and I've known Dan for a long time. Not only did he recently celebrate his birthday, but I am extremely proud of him and his EDU brand. He, uh, he, he, he officially announced this week that he assigned that he signed his book deal with EduMatch, and I am so excited about that. There is somebody who is out there hustling. There is somebody out there who is networking. There is somebody out there who is doing some great stuff in the EDU brand space. Check out his podcast over at leaderoflearning.com. Great stuff. Not only did he sign his book deal, not only did he have a wonderful birthday, but he also had his 100th episode of the of the Leader of Learning podcast. Learn about everything that Dan's doing today over at leaderoflearning.com. He is also part of the EDU podcast directory, where you can find over 200 educational podcasters, all teachers, creating podcasts from educators to educators, by educators, for educators. Check it out over at the EDU podcast directory.com. And I hope that you guys are here to uh, figure out how you guys can build your EDU brand. Of course, I love talking to you guys. Check out all the great stuff over at, over at buildyouredubrand.com and find me on Twitter at Jeff Bradbury. My guest today is originally from New York and has grown up all in the sports performing world. He is a speaker. He is an author. And currently, he is an amazing agent for several great athletes hailing from the great state of California. want to bring on today Mr. Mark line weaver mark how are you today welcome to the show jeff i'm doing fantastic and i genuinely appreciate being here it is so great to see you i am so happy to have you on here because today we're going to talk about you how did you build your brand coming from a guy from new york working around that tri-state connecticut new york area here and suddenly now you find yourself out there in in the middle of California doing Hollywood style deals. You speak, you wrote a book, you work really, really close to major league baseball. Before we get to all of that stuff, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, it's funny when you give me that type of introduction or overview, I always wonder how come I don't have more money? Um, but you know, it's, it's the perfect way to begin, I guess, uh, our chat. And it's, it's not always about the money, right? It, it's about the passions that people have, the passions that you particularly have. And for me, I was always motivated by what I wanted to do. And growing up, uh, as, uh, as a kid in New York, outside of the city, growing up a Mets fan, growing up a Nick, and a Rangers fan and just an overall sports fan, uh, everybody wants to be a professional athlete. But over time, you quickly realize, I, I don't think I'm going to make it to the pros. How do I stay in the game? And I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be uh, a broadcaster for the Mets or, or to the Yankees and get to that highest level. And I committed uh, throughout high school, through college, and then even into the professional ranks in the minor leagues, really chasing that dream. And I realized after giving it a 110% effort, there's a difference between good and great. And then there's a difference between great and outstanding or excellent. And I'm proud to say that I feel like I was somewhere between good and great. 
But um, at the end of the day, you've you've really got to be excellent, outstanding to, to be the one on national television night in and night out, to be the very, very top of your craft. And it's not exclusive to broadcasting, as you know. It's really anything you do. Um, but I was able to use that experience. I was able to use the passion that I had for sports, the uh, the life's work that I put into understanding the games, uh, being educated in it, both in college and, so to speak, on the field and off the field, and then in the working world as, as an executive in, in minor league baseball and in college basketball or what have you, and using that entire experience over the course of a decade or a decade and a half to ultimately transition into Truly the sports business world, being an agent, representing people. And it's not just players. I've now started to work a little bit in the broadcasting space because I have clients who are retiring as players, becoming broadcasters or in the entertainment world. And so it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I'm far from done. Uh, this is just a part of the journey. But you know, I've always been fortunate enough to chase passions. Um, I never put money first. And uh, even to go from the greater New York City area, or for that matter, to the Northeast, whether it's Philadelphia, Boston, where I went to college, to be 500 feet from the sand in Manhattan Beach, California, to me, that's probably been the very best part of the journey. So that's just a little little bit of a snapshot or snapshot rather of me and um, how I kind of went from the the modest high school years, if you will, to uh, the day to day here and now. Now, of course, this show is all about how did you build your brand? How do you get started? What are some of the great things? And today, guys, we're going to be focusing with Mark on three words, networking, loyalty and hustle. And I'm interested in learning what each of those mean to him, because obviously you can't get to where you are without being loyal, loyal to others, loyal to yourself, loyal to where your heartbeat goes. Obviously, it takes a lot of hustle getting there. And at some point in time, you have to be able to sit down and have a conversation with somebody and go, hey, I'm interested. Are you interested? Let's do the dance. How do we go? And we'll talk a little bit today about those clients. But, you know, I'm really interested in one of the first things that you and I had an opportunity to do. You and I recently met um, because you were giving a presentation to students all about how to get into college, what to expect. And I loved your answers about, you know, do you want to go and be in like a D1 school where maybe you're sitting on the bench versus being in a D2 or D3 school where maybe you are that starting quarterback? Why is it important for you with all of the successes that you've had? Why is it important for you to constantly give back? You know, it's an interesting question, and uh, it's one that as I look back at, at the arc of either my professional life or even my personal life, I hit 40 years old about five years ago, and um, you do some self-evaluating, uh, I think, when you hit that age for whatever reason, you know, those milestones, th stones, 30, 40, 50, and I said, you know, look, I've got this cool life as an agent and in California and the beach and, and everything that we, so to speak, just described, but what type of difference am I making in the world? You know, and for the professional athlete, um, they, they do have a level of expectation. They, they certainly are performers. They're entertainers. They're on a big stage. Uh, they get a lot of things for free. Um, they get a lot of uh, opportunities that people can only dream of. And most of those opportunities, those things are facilitated through people like myself, the agents who make those phone calls and, and get them uh, get them done. And while that's part of the job and that's part of what I'm paid uh, to do, I found there to be a lack of uh, at least rewarding, enriching um, 
you know, self-gratitude for me. Like I felt like there was more that I could personally do with this incredible network that I've amassed. And then also a little bit of like, how did I get here? And I started to think back to my high school years. I started to think back to that initial journey. And that's really where it began. I said to myself, I got to give back more. I've got to do more. I, I've, if I'm going to tell my players and expect them to give back to their society because of the platform they're on, I've done a decent job creating a platform for myself. How can I help? And if I'm going to be able to, to drill it down and target it to the high school level, and it's not to say it's exclusive to an athlete, although I was a high school student athlete, I think it was for people in the arts. It was people in music, people in, in all kind of the, the, the categories, if you will, of the high school experience. Um, how can I go back and, and give back? And, and so when I hit 40, I committed to let's start in some way, shape or form, an ability to to start a speaking circuit, to open up conversation. And as you just described, it was more about, look, I've been through 20 years of this and there's nothing more disheartening as a former college athlete who had an incredible four year experience at a non scholarship school where, yes, I played the D2 and I didn't ride the bench, whereas I've seen so many people go to D1 and really not maximize what their true passion was, which was playing. Um I said to myself, there's got to be at least a way to open up a conversation in communities where sports is truly paramount, where I think moms and dads lack the education that that is out there, the inside knowledge that's out there. And that's really where it kind of came to be, where for me, if I could help influence open-mindedly an educational point of view to one family to say, this could be a path to truly put our son or daughter on that's going to not just maximize the remainder of their high school career into their college life, but perhaps set a tone for the rest of their life, I feel like I made a difference. And I started volunteering at high schools in the greater New York area, schools that I had associations to because maybe I went to high school with that current athletic director and I was doing it all for free at the beginning as a as almost a soul cleansing feeling I'm giving back to balance out the day-to-day -day job of being an agent and getting a lot of things for free um, and feeling like I wasn't overly helping and being rewarded personally um, from, from an enriching soul searching perspective that is. And um, that's really kind of how it came to be. And it's blossomed. It, it's been unbelievable and it's remarkable how, you know, trying to find uh, positives through negatives in a pandemic that the webinars of the world, that that the Zooms, that these these kind of um, abilities to communicate with people, at least through a screen, not just nationally, but arguably globally, um, that was a game changer for me. And uh, the ability to, to grow that message at, at a very fast rate and probably affect and hopefully make an impact on more uh, students, families, educators in general. I know this is obviously an educational podcast. I mean, yeah, of course I hear from the AD, but I hear from guidance directors. I hear from teachers. I hear from principals. I got a nice note from an assistant superintendent to two or three nights ago after a presentation. That that's why I do it. And maybe one day that'll be a full-time job and I'll leave the agency world behind. But as of right now, I, I enjoy doing both. And I think there's a lot of value in, and um, credibility in sharing the two worlds. So I know it was a long answer, um, but you know that that's kind of, there's a passion behind it that I think everybody has. And some people have to do their, their real job, their day-to-day -day job where their bread is buttered, so to speak. Um, but then there's also, you know, 
what really drives you in the morning and, and how can you make a difference? And I think in the world that we're living in today, where we are in society, that's probably more important than ever. You know, your message to those students and most importantly to those families was absolutely spot on. You know, yes, you're talking about the difference between choosing colleges, but it was more than that. You really were working on them and their brand. You talked about social media. You talked about who to follow. You talked about how not to get in trouble, how to make sure that they're, you know, keeping up with their schoolwork and the athletic student, you know, student athletes and stuff like that. I'm assuming that those are the same lessons in high school that you would work with college students who maybe are going to be exiting college and looking for an agent such as yourself. Yeah, not only the ones that are athletes that are looking for agents, but also the individuals that want to work in sports. Um, you know, I think as they say, the proverbial back of the baseball card, if you will, um, it, it's not always about the stats. You know, it's about who are you? I could tell you from the pro sports perspective in, in every sport, not just baseball, they really Character matters more than ever. So you could be the best player on the planet. They're going to look to see what type of human being you are before they draft you, before they give you tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And so if you take it all the way down to the high school level, uh, to your point there, it, 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 it really is about the type of person you are, the contributions you make to society, your social media. Are you, you know, just being so haphazard and in, in writing and saying and doing things that could really raise an eyebrow and, and affect you both in the current moment, but down the road? Or are you the type of person that's making a difference, trying to make your community better, you know, putting down the the video games and the 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 Snapchats and the TikTok nonstopness of it and trying to go out and and help others. And so I think that that part of the a the presentation that I give to students and to parents and to educators for that matter is so much more important than the quote unquote recruiting aspect because those are lessons for me that are so beyond the field, so beyond just the high school experience. They do go into college. They do create your brand, right? Everybody is their own incorporation. Bottom line, everybody is their own incorporation. And I'll be honest, I do believe that everybody has a level of vanity. Everybody has a little level of, of you know, and that's not a bad thing, you know, making yourself feel good, knowing who you are, feeling comfortable in your own skin. You know, there's a reason why in this world where everybody has a phone, there's a lot of pictures being taken. And the camera's not always facing outward. Sometimes the camera is facing inward, right? It's a picture of yourself. It's a selfie. It's a picture of your grilled cheese sandwich, right? That, that all has a little level of who you are and, and, and what you like, whether it's about yourself or otherwise, but you're an incorporation, you know, you sell yourself. And so how do you want to be perceived? How do you want to judge or how do you want to be judged based on the content you're putting out there? And it could be as simple as the photos you post. It could be as simple as the, the Instagrams or the Snapchats or the Twitters or whatever your social media mechanism is that you build. And that's not exclusive to a pro athlete or a collegiate athlete that's looking for an agent. But I will tell you, if you want to kind of look at it from a business perspective, any deal we make with an athlete, or if, if they want to uh, try to do something with a golf course or they're looking to market with a, a brand or some sort of partner, we're researching the social media of those organizations, trying to see what type of business they've built, the kind of individuals they have around them, because you have to be. Whether you're a high school athlete, whether you're a piano player, whether you're the star of the play, it doesn't have to only be about athletics. I said that a moment ago. You have to be so aware 
as to how you promote your incorporation, um, both privately, of course, but certainly publicly. And um, we as an agency, me as an agent, first and foremost, we're incredibly aware of that and how those deals can be consummated and also, you know, their pros and their potential cons. But I don't think that that is any different for a student, a parent or an educator. Let's go back to some of the words that we used a few minutes ago here. When it comes to your background, your career, you, you've, you've gone from being broadcaster to speaker to author to working with professional athletes. And we'll get to all of that as we go through here. But tell me about the word hustle. What does that mean to you as a broadcaster, as a, as a, as a speaker, as, as a what does that word hustle mean? You know, it just means that you're you you never stop. You know, you're always striving. You're always working towards something. And you know, the one thing about hustle is it doesn't mean that there's always going to be a positive outcome. You give it 110 percent. If you're always trying to strive toward what your goal is, you know, part of life is falling short. Part of life is is finishing in second place. For part of life is is unfortunately not always winning. And it is remarkable how much can be gained in in the life lessons of of the loss. But the hustle to me is that nonstop drive. It, it is that getting up early, it's staying up late. You know, people like to make in, you know, maybe more of an adolescent perspective. They want to make their Snapchat videos. They want to play Fortnite. They want to play FIFA or whatever their game is, you know, opposed to being out and trying to hit the books and, and make themselves brighter in the classroom or hitting the weight room or doing things from an athletic perspective that can get them bigger, faster, stronger, smarter on the field. Um, for me, I don't golf. Uh, I don't ski. I don't surf. I don't snowboard. I don't play volleyball. I mean, I like to just constantly work on new ideas, new crafts. And to me, that that's considered hustle. It's if there is downtime, if there is, I'm just wondering, man, what could I be doing right now? It's, it's trying to find a way to continue to move the ball down the field in whatever you are working on. And, um, I will say that a lot of people think, well, hustle's part of your DNA. It's in you. You either got it or you don't. I disagree. I think you could teach yourself hustle. I think you could teach yourself discipline. I could think you could teach yourself, you know, I, I, I want to commit to something else. I want to be someone else. I, I want to really kind of alter who I've been and, and I know the vision and what I want to become. To me, that literally starts with hustle. It is that commitment and that drive and that passion and that push to not letting someone stand in your way and someone that doesn't let you be told no. You know, I, I once uh, heard a presentation about whether you can or whether you can't, you're right. And, um, you know, that's a quote from uh, from Mr. Ford uh, of the Ford company, the, the founder, you know, over 100 years ago. But, you know, and I'm paraphrasing the quote, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to you, that drive, that passion, that burn. And it's not necessarily born with you you create it um but but you decide if you want to get up and hustle or not I, I, you you just answered a lot of the questions i was going to have there i think that's because <laughs> because i honestly the, the one question i was trying to figure out here mark was is hustle something that you can be taught or is it just part of you and and you say i i think it's both like there are some people that are naturally i'm a go-getter and there's some people that will hustle if they see others hustling around them but from a teacher's point of view, can you teach hustle or is it just you have to model what you want your students to do? 
You know, I think that's a that's a challenging question to to um, to the teacher's point of view. Can you teach hustle? It's I do believe that there's a level of of self-motivation. But I also think that, you know, there's an expression you walk before you run. I'm a bigger believer in you crawl before you walk. And um, especially when you're dealing with younger men and women. Right. So I don't really care if they're in fifth grade or if they're about to graduate high school. I think that there is a level of easing anyone into anything that could be uncharted territory. And there's a little expression that I've kind of learned to adapt to that when you're working on something and you're starting to get tired and you kind of just want to stop. I I say to myself, don't be lazy. Just, just finish, right? Just finish it. The feeling of reward uh, at the end of that, whether it's five more minutes or five more hours is, is just this, it's a secondary sense of accomplishment. And so for an educator, I think that's trying to teach hustle. It doesn't mean that you have to go a hundred miles an hour at, at this max effort in just easing someone into seeing going a little bit further. You know, there's three questions left or there's 30 questions left and finding a way to listen, let's just get through this part. And maybe there's a reward at the end. Maybe there's not, but just, slowly trying to show people how they can push, how you can slowly build confidence, how you can feel the exhilaration of the reward. And it doesn't have to be a literal reward. The reward could be, we're done. It's over. We get to go home now. But that sense of accomplishment, I do. I think hustle can be taught, but I think that is a, there's a fine line from being too over the top, from being too damning, from being, you know, too condescending of going too much, too far, too fast, where it backfires. And people do want to give up and people would prefer to become lazy because at the end of the day, I don't think people are lazy. I think they're afraid. I think they're intimidated. I think they haven't been taught right. I think that, you know, they have some 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 background, some history of things that have been told of them or to them that have discouraged them for wanting to try harder. And I can't emphasize enough, whether it's a coach or specifically a teacher, the influence that as a group, educators have collectively, because every single coach is a teacher. I mean, I bring that up in lectures, even in the pros. Um the influence that they can have uh, on individuals, including for me, I see it at the, at the major league level, the feedback that you'll hear from players that, that coaches or, or front office executives, you know, to me, who, who are a lot like educators can have on them grown men who make millions of dollars. Uh, you'd be surprised, but sometimes you just have to ease that person in and, you know, you, you would know your style best. Um, but I, I think the influence that you have to inspire uh, an element of hustle is remarkable. One of the things that I know everybody listening to this has on their mind is how do I get to that next level? Where are those opportunities? How do I make sure I'm not missing my opportunities? Some might say throwing away their shots. One of the things that always fascinates me is the art and I believe it is an art form of networking, having conversations, going into a room and, and meeting others, trying to mingle, figure things out, small talk, if you will. Um, I obviously, you know, you, you can't be a, a major league baseball agent without understanding how to do networking. 
talk to us a little bit about it. What is networking to you? How does it work? What's your strategy? Kind of give us that roundabout aspect of how does it all work and how do you build your brand through just meeting people? And, and that is... That's kind of the million dollar question in the sense that I realize that everybody's built differently in, in a, a short um, comparison of introvert versus extrovert. I do believe people can make adjustments and challenge themselves to kind of get out of a, they always call it a comfort zone. I, I consider it an uncomfort zone, right? I mean, a lot of people can't just walk into a room and work the room and go up to a stranger and shake hands and, and get that started. I, I was, I think, a bit of a unique individual as a child. I mean, if you looked at pictures of me as a kid. I looked a lot like the character Vern from Stand By Me. Um, and uh, needless to say, I, I got teased a lot. I got I got picked on. I got bullied. And um, but for whatever reason, you know, I hate to call it the gift of gab, but it was it was a gift of gab and I wasn't afraid to fail. And I think that's the underlying part here. Not afraid to fail, not afraid to take chances, not afraid to be worried about how you'll be judged or what someone's going to say behind your back. That to me is the first step of networking. No one is expecting someone to just walk into a room and get everyone's attention, but to not be afraid to say hi, not be afraid to shake a hand, to um, challenge yourself, quite frankly. And that doesn't always have to be in this world where with COVID and masks and, and far less interpersonal communication, you know, reaching out and, and trying to look into the camera as if you are looking into someone's eyes or not always being off screen, but rather on screen, just slowly making yourself more comfortable, challenging yourself with things that make you uncomfortable. There's a great expression I absolutely love, which is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I mean, the more comfortable you can become with the things that make you uncomfortable, it will automatically be your first step into becoming a better networker. And whether you are trying to become a better networker for personal gain, for professional gain, obviously from a sales or a marketing perspective, networking is key. They call sports a, a contact sport, right? Networking is a contact sport. Marketing is a contact sport. Um, at the end of the day, you control that. But it's a lot like when we talked about hustle. I don't think you can jump into the deep end and expect to swim right away. You have to do little things that make you comfortable. And if you are already further down the road where you have that personality to be able to walk in and light it up and, and work the room, it's actually a little bit the opposite. It's probably showing some humility, showing some discretion, showing some slowing down because it goes the other way. You might be too over to the top. You can turn people off. So it's a fair, fine line balance. But I believe that it starts. It truly starts with challenging yourself on the things that you're uncomfortable with. And once you get that part down, you just cannot be afraid to fail. So you trip over your own words uh, in that individual across the room that you've always wanted to introduce yourself to because they are X, Y, or Z. And again, that could be a personal relationship. That could be a professional relationship. You took the chance. You're going to go back and yes, we can overanalyze. We can overthink. We can play it over our heads a, a million times and we can focus on the negative of how we could screw it up. But we could also focus on the positives to say, A, we took the shot. 
B, if I had to do the conversation again, I would have said X, I would have said Y. It, it, there's just so much to be gained from just that one experience, good, bad, or indifferent. And um, you don't become an expert overnight. You don't become an expert overnight in anything. Uh, networking is something you have to practice. Uh, and I think that the more you do it, the better off you'll be. And people think I'm nuts. I'm always talking to myself. I got caught yesterday walking out of the dentist's office, and it was because I was told I might need a root canal and I might need two crowns. And on my way to the car, I'm just talking to myself, and these people are looking and they're laughing, but I'm always talking to myself. I talk to myself. I plan out conversations in my mind, but also verbally, out loud, when I'm driving, when I'm in the shower, wherever I might be, I am constantly practicing my craft that, like an athlete, like a performer, a musician, uh, an actor, the lights are on. It's your line. Are you ready? Have you practiced enough for that moment? And I don't think it's any different with networking at all. But you got to start slow. You got to start with what your comfort of being uncomfortable is, and you got to commit to it. You got to commit to it. And I don't think it'll take long for you to start really snapping your fingers and work in the room uh, beyond a capacity that you didn't think was was quite honestly possible. I think that's absolutely true. You know, my nature is to be more introverted. You know, we talked earlier about being a conductor and you're the only one that doesn't make a sound. And I like that. And, you know, my personal philosophy is I love to be on stage, center of attention. Give me a mic. Give me a speaker. I feel comfortable there. But when I'm in a crowd, I want to go into the corner. And often when I'm into a networking situation, I flip on the broadcasting hat and I just go up to anybody I can talk to and I just start asking questions. And the more you get comfortable with somebody, then you get comfortable with somebody and it just keeps going on. When we're looking at things like this, I mean, what would you define as a a, a positive networking experience? How do you know? I mean, sometimes you don't realize that six months from now, someone's going to remember you. How do you leave a positive lasting impression on somebody? Uh, a couple of ways. Well, one, it's also interesting because I've learned a lot, especially with the initiatives that you and I met under, which was the, the perfect placement or the character matters presentation um, where you know, for me, I make a lot of phone calls. I make a lot of contacts and, and you can get off the phone and, uh, or a zoom, or in some cases, uh, in interpersonal, uh, communication, uh, live and in person and, and walk away pumping your fist and feeling good and, and, and really thinking that you nailed it and that it's going to lead to X or Y or Z from a positive perspective. And then it's crickets. Um, and, and you, you, you Monday morning quarterback yourself to say, boy, maybe I wasn't as good as I thought. You know, maybe um, I, I didn't do as well as, as I interpreted the conversation. Maybe they were just trying to get out of it. Um, so it's a really, really hard question, in my opinion, to answer. Uh, but what I, what I will say is, look, you know, it is hard to self-evaluate. It is hard to kind of say, I nailed it. I think the best, the best way to handle any conversation – uh, whether it is going well, whether it is going poorly. And, and this is probably more on the business perspective than the, the personal perspective, but I don't think it's exclusive from one to the other. You want to be the first one out. Yeah, I don't care how well it's going. I don't care. You never, in my mind, want to be the person that is told by the other, all right, well, listen, I got to get going. 
you have over, in my opinion, you have overextended your welcome if, if they are saying that. You have either talked too much, you have hung around too much, you might be around somebody that's just being polite. But if you can get out first, if you could say, hey, listen, I really appreciate the time. It was a pleasure speaking or whatever the content was, little summary. Uh, hey, I'll email you tomorrow. I'll follow up with the text. But if you could be the one to say, I know you're busy or listen, I know you have other people to speak to or whatever, the, 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 just envision that scenario you're in. Be the first one out. You know, shake hands, fist bump, elbow, whatever we're doing in today's world. But be the first one out on the phone, in the Zoom, in person. Leave them wanting more. Show some, this individual has feel. This person gets it. They didn't leave me out there because maybe they're not interpreting that conversation the way you are. You think you're on cloud nine, you're nailing it. You just want to keep going. Talkers are going to talk. And the other individual is like, when is this person going to stop and walk away? So I'm not saying that that's always the case. But if you can bail first, if you can get out of that conversation with that level of appreciation and move on, I think that really allows you to, A, maintain, and I hate to call it an upper hand, but I think you understand the context of it. But B, maybe they say, no, 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 no. I've got plenty of time. I'm enjoying this. Stick around. You sure you got to go? Then you know you got them. And even then, I, I would caution to say, all right, stick around, but not as long as maybe you'd like to. Leave them wanting more and um, put yourself in a position for a follow-up. That's how you build a relationship. That's how you start to maximize that networking. And then I think that's also how you build a, a, a network for yourself, a reputation for yourself. Because I can't tell you, I, I work in baseball. There's an expression, feel. This guy's got feel. This gal has feel. This person has zero feel. And... You never want to be in the category of zero feel or lax feel. Um, and I think you you can figure out whether you want to change the word from feel to, to something else. Mm -hmm. I think you can, you can comprehend the overall messaging um, that I'm laying out here. You always want to get out first would, would be my short answer to the much longer way I've answered it. Talking today to Mark Lineweaver, who spent 20 years working in sports as a baseball agent. Mark, let me ask you here, that first moment that you signed a contract and said, oh my goodness, this athlete is now depending on me to go, I don't even know what to say here, get them a job, support them, negotiate on their behalf, feed their, what, what, what is the right term here? What is, what is an agent, what does an agent do? Well, I can tell you that if you've ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire, uh, from a character perspective, I think the role of an agent is a lot more like the bad guy in the movie, Bob Sugar. And I like to laugh and say, Bob Sugar really wasn't that bad of an agent. Um, and I'm not saying that the Jerry Maguires of the world out there don't exist, but it's probably somewhere as a happy medium. Um I think it's different for everyone. I, I will say that for me personally, there are no days off. It's a 24-7, 365-day position. I, I think that there's a, a considerable level 
of thank yous, but there's plenty of, hey, that's your job. You know, you're, you're not always going to be told great job. You're not always going to be told thank you. And that you work off of a commission, quite frankly. You work off of a percentage of a contract that a player earns. And in, at least in baseball, it takes them a long time to earn that. You, you don't get any money when they're in the minors. You don't get any money from them when they're initially in the big leagues. And yes, when they start signing those larger contracts after, it's different for everyone, but generally as a rule of thumb, three years of major league time for a player you might have that individual and it's not just a player it's the girlfriend the fiance the wife the mom the dad the brother to the sister you represent the entire family um and not everybody might like you. you the player might love you the wife might hate you uh the player likes you the wife really likes you the father's indifferent like it, there's just so many elements to the relationship part before you get to the x's and the o's of the business but you know we talked about um you know loyalty uh to a degree you, you mentioned that a little more in the open the loyalty, the honesty, the trust factor, that's what makes an agent. Now, it, it is no different than, quite frankly, in any relationship. I think honesty, trust, you know, everything that is any type of relationship should first and foremost be built on that. But I think in the sports world, when there's a, a fine line between friendship and business, um, trust has to be the consistent here. Uh, it's the element that, that can't be broken. If it's broken, you're out. It's also a business of shinier red balls. You know, you, you get, you're up against a lot of competitors who will say anything about you to try to score the client to ultimately cash in on that percentage of a contract. And if you have trust, if you can look a client in the eye and they know that you're being honest and that they gave uh, you 110% effort, but more importantly, they want you to give them 120% effort, then, then even in back times or questionable times you got a good opportunity for keeping the player you know there was a little bit of a theme in the movie which it's hard to believe jerry Maguire is almost 25 years old but you know it it, it it's not an answer that I could say, well, this is what an agent does, right? Or, or this is what the job is. But I could tell you, there's a line in the movie. It is an up at dawn, pride swallowing siege. And it is a, it is a, an industry where you are second, truly. You, the player is first, the client is first, the family is first, and you, you work for them. They are the boss. I don't care if they are 17, 18 years old that just came out of a high school, um, or if they are a 10-time all-star and, and literally one of the best players in the game. You work for them. You work for their family. And it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of personal time that gets put aside. There's no such thing as a vacation. Um, but you do it for the passion. You do it because there is a moment of pride that when the player gets a call to go to the big leagues for the first time, you're part of that journey. You know, you're a part of creating that player. You, you good, bad, or indifferent. You've been through the the thick and the thin. Um, there's no guarantees in life. Players get hurt. Circumstances come up. The best players don't always make it. Some of the people that were never expected to make it go on to be superstars. Um, but you need to be there the entire time under all circumstances. And me personally, I represent about 75 players. My firm represents over 150. It's just, it's one of those things where everybody has to be treated not to say the same, because that's that would be inaccurate, but they need to be traded with the same level of respect, the same level of importance. Um, and that's why it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to take a day off. It's hard to drop the ball, especially when you constantly have those Bob Sugar-like competitors that are willing to say or do anything, including untruthful uh, comments to your client, um, to try to score in on, on someone that you could have a decade-long relationship with. So... It's um it's an interesting line of work. It's one that I I honestly I do enjoy it. 
there's plenty of proud moments. There's plenty of challenging times, but it is definitely a world that um, is not not cut out for everyone. But uh, I do think there's a lot of parallels, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap up this question uh, with the end of uh, this particular answer being there are so many parallels to being an agent and being an educator. The level of trust, especially at the beginning, that that individual has in you to make a difference, to teach them, to guide them, to set examples, to really rely on your insight um, for a decision that they will make is it's remarkably paralleled, um, to know that unfortunately they or someone in their camp could sour on you quickly to blame you as, as the bad person, the bad guy, the bad gal, whatever, uh, comes with the territory. And for so many of the educators listening, you understand what I mean. So I think there are so many parallels between the jobs and you're also dealing with individuals that whether they are students or whether they are athletes, professional at that, um, they don't have the same worldly street experience skill sets uh, that you've had and have and bring to the table. And so that's why your influence is that much more important. And that's why your trust, it, it probably is paramount among or above all. Well, there certainly are a lot of parallels, as you were mentioning, and, and you had mentioned that you're with 75 clients of your own. And I think we can all remember that most memorable scene in Jerry Maguire, of course, the one where he's walking around with a Ziploc bag with a with a goldfish in it and <laughs> trying to figure out what to do with the next part. I mean, I, if I kind of go back to that movie, every time one of his clients went, he was on an airplane, he was on a bus, he was, how do you juggle 75 clients probably all different sports, all different teams, all everything. It's the same question I, that people ask. How do you handle 75 students and their parents and their grades uh, and their everything? And I think the other question, Mark, and I think maybe we can talk about this later. How do we get 5% as an agent for every future earning that our students do, just the way the agents do with the sports players? But I'll let you answer the first question first. How do you manage 75 brands well, I will tell you that there are no two players alike. So the definition of camellia and being able to um, make adjustments and, and kind of cater and, and um, really speak their language and, and connect and resonate with what's important to them and uh, the, the parts of their arc, their journey that you need to be along for the ride for, but at the same time still being yourself not being transparent to where you change who you are, what you believe, what you think from player A to player B to player C, because that's not going to work. That is the biggest challenge. Um, but I, I will, I will tell you that, you know, it, it is, it's a job. Um, you're not their friend, right? Like you're, you're all adults. You sure you go out and have a drink or something like that. But at the end of the day, as you said, that is your boss. Just like at the end of the day or at the end of the class, that's still your student. There is a teacher-student thing. Um, are, are you? Do, you? do you become friends with these people? Do it's they, funny do they, you say what, that. What, what, because is, what is the line there that they don't cross? Because again, you can be good friends and they'll cut your head tomorrow. I, I was about to say as I, I kind of paused and thought to myself, it is a job that at least for me and, and 
other agents in my firm is seven months of the year on the road. That And that's pre-pandemic. Now, obviously, the pandemic has grounded everything, but probably starting in April, I will return to the road. And it is a job that isn't seven consecutive months. It's six weeks here and then maybe three days there. And then seven days home and 12 days gone. And then four or five days or four or five weeks home and then six days gone. And it's not always in Los Angeles or New York or Chicago. It's in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and it's in Burlington, Vermont, and it's in Rome, Georgia. And um, to try to live a life where you have triplets at home or where you have personal relationships or where there are things that you are going to sacrifice, you're going to miss. And whether they're just, you know, a friend's 50th birthday party or quite frankly, let's just grill out on Saturday and invite some people over or the big game or whatever the case may be, um, that is what the job looks like. Um, that is the commitment to the 75 plus players. But then to bring up your, your last point is you're their friend, but they, they're your boss, you work for them. And so, you know, creating that, that balance of the friends as friends and business as business challenging to do very hard to do, but it's important to do. You have to have a personal relationship with these guys and the only way and families, you know, the wives, the wives oftentimes quite honestly make more of the decisions and have far more of the influence of the future of the player, the future of the household than the actual player does. And you can represent a player for a long time. Uh, girlfriend comes into the picture, girlfriend becomes fiance, fiance becomes a wife. And I certainly hope that I, or you as an agent have a good relationship with them because what you had with the player might not matter. So you have to have that balance. You have to get to know them personal. You have to understand their needs uh, on a business side. Not everyone's the same. So you have to invest to every single one of them, the same amount of energy. So you know who they are, what's important, what they want, what they probably sometimes more importantly don't want. And you have to get out and see them to get to know them, to invest in what is important to them. And that's by being on the road. So you can't sit here and say like, well, you know, I, I could just do this from a computer. I could just Skype. I can just uh, FaceTime. We'll just chat and text. Um, I'll just watch their games on TV. That doesn't work. It's not going to happen. And, and um, you know, we've been fortunate, I think, through the pandemic to be able, by virtue of these, the webinars and the Zooms and, and, and uh, communication that way, because everyone's in the same boat, if you will. But that those days are ending. Thank goodness, I think, in a lot of regards, getting back to some sort of personal relationship in person. But you cannot properly do this job. You cannot properly run this business as an agent um, without being out on the road and getting to know these these individuals uh, personally and professionally. So that probably, you know, kind of covers both questions, the first question and then the follow up. But I will tell you. I don't think this is exclusive to being a sports agent. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really exclusive to, to sports or entertainment. I think it's, you could be a doctor, you can be an insurance agent, I, whatever the case may be. And I know that we're talking to a, a wide collection of educators. You know, you, there are certain students, you invest in all of your students and there are certain students that need more attention than others. There are certain students that you can kind of know they're going to be okay and you don't have to hover over. There's a balance there. But from the start, you don't know them just yet. 
So you've got to invest equally into every single one of them. And it's a lot of, you know, 24-7, you take your work home with you, you think about these kids, you think about their families, and uh, there aren't too many thank yous along the way, right? It's the job you signed up for because it's your job. And um, I think when you go back to some of the things we talked about with, you know, feeling enriched and feeling fulfilled and feeling like you make a difference, you know, it's crazy. You know, we, we say things like, oh, I love this or thank God for that or whatever the case may be. That's a case for the educators, you know, for agents. When you do get that sincere thank you, when you know you made a difference, boy, that 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 in so many regards, it's worth its weight in gold. Talking today to Mark Line Weaver about all the great stuff that he's been doing as far as impacting others, supporting professional athletes, hustle, loyalty, networking, all that stuff. Mark, I want to say thank you for your time. But before I let you go, I've got a couple rapid fire questions for sure. you here. Uh, just some things that we like to talk about here on the show. Um, number one, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? That's a really good question. And, I, you know, you're going to do rapid fire questions. I don't know if I'm a guy capable of giving rapid fire answers. Um <laughs> You know, there's a couple of adages. I don't know if it's advice, but when I was 21 years old, my first job ever in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, my first real job where you showed up and it was in professional baseball. And there were a couple of adages that the boss dropped on me. And it was things like, if you want to stay out with the owls, you better be able to fly with the Eagles. Uh, I thought that was great. It was a way of saying, like, if you want to stay out late, you better be ready to wake up early and get at it. And then I think the one that has stuck with me forever, and I use it in, in, in either presentations or adages, um, is if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And I think that's so, so telling in anybody's line of work. And again, coming back to this is an educational platform, boy, right? It, whether you're an educator yourself and you want to take that to heart or if you want to relay that on to students. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be in the classroom. I think it could be probably better suited outside the classroom. If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're going to make a meal. You don't want to read the instructions and, the, and how to get the ingredients right and, and actually how to go through making this meal. The meal is not going to come out the right way. Right. Um, that is something I will never forget. And it's an adage that, quite frankly, I probably live by. That would likely be the best piece of advice I've ever been given. Uh, that's one I've heard quite often, and I certainly agree. And on keeping on that same topic of planning to fail and failing to plan, what's your best teachable moment you've ever had? Hmm. I mean, it had to be somewhere I've made a mistake. Um, it's hard to say, but I will tell you that for a short period of time, yeah, five years, I don't know how short of a period of time that was, but I was a pharmaceutical rep. I went through a bit of a, a career change and um, I spent almost a dozen years as a broadcaster. And then I was a, a broadcaster, wannabe, kind of keep the flame burning, if you will, while I was a pharmaceutical rep. And that's when I actually wrote my book. And then I got into the agency world. And there was a time that I went to go visit a doctor and I was with my manager. I wasn't a very good pharmaceutical rep, but I could chat it up a little bit. And science wasn't my strongest subject. So I was incredibly underqualified for that role. Um, but this doctor either was having a bad day or fed up with these, these pharmaceutical reps in his office and just absolutely blasted me. I mean, 
I didn't do anything that probably was inappropriate or, or led him to burst. But this individual was when I tell you four inches from my face, screaming at me about how worthless my drug was, how useless my visits to his office were. And I just took it. I just wore it. I did not overreact. I don't even think I really reacted other than I appreciate your time, doctor. And I remember getting in the car with the manager who had seen 20 years of doctor uh, representative interactions. And I just remember him complimenting me on how well I handled that situation and how I kept my cool. And I just remember to that moment, not so much the feedback from, from the manager, but just like you sometimes have to put yourself in the shoes of the other individual and that what is a priority for us as people in any regard, personal, professional, is not always a priority for the other person. And how you have to have discipline, how you have to have grace, how you have to have humility. It was an incredibly embarrassing situation to be in. And um, I think there was a lot to be learned from that. And, and I remember it, especially now having been trained in the pharmaceutical world and working with doctors who are obviously high profile and educated and make money and their time is so, so crucial. I think professional athletes and their families, very, very similar. It was like when the karate kid learns karate by doing all the chores and then he's getting annoyed because he's doing all the chores and he thinks he's basically just out there, you know, painting the fences and waxing the cars and not learning anything. And in reality, he was learning karate. That, that was the case there. And that one experience I think about so often because I'm in a position where I have to be humble a lot, where I do, I do get yelled at, you know, that you are the second person in the dynamic of the agent-player relationship. Um, second might be high. It might be third or fourth or fifth when you, you bring in the wife and the girlfriend and the, the mom and the dad. So that was probably the most telling experience I ever had. And um, I will tell you that I think if that had happened three years earlier, five years earlier, 10 years earlier, I don't know if I would have handled it the same way. It's hard not to fight fire with fire. It really is. And um, that was probably the, the most life lesson learned kind of experience I've ever had that, again, I can go back to a couple of moments uh, through different, different career uh, experiences that I take from to try to make myself a better person and also try to be a better representative for not just the clients I, I serve, but really the individuals in, in life that you interact with. You've had an opportunity to work with a lot of people um, throughout the years. And if you take money aside, there's no contracts. There's just, just you and another person who, and I'll say in the history of sports, so that's going to make it even harder. Who would you like to represent? Oh, boy. It's funny because I thought you were going to ask me if there was a particular player that just kind of separated themselves. Because I do. I, I have um, – there's one player that – it was always just a different relationship. But – you know, I think the um, I think the easy, obvious answer for me is growing up a Mets fan in New York, uh, an individual that you know passed away far too soon, uh, and I was happy to have 
you know, an opportunity to interact with him in, in a capacity when I was a broadcaster in the minor leagues is I would have wanted to represent my, my boyhood idol, which was Gary Carter of the Mets and, and um, the influence professional athletes or, you know, musicians or actors or anybody that's in the, the public eye, the high profile, you know, they're considered quote unquote heroes, right? We hear it so, so often in role models, right? And you look at these individuals that are on these pedestals, that just from a selfish perspective would be somebody that, you know, given the circumstances, I would have loved to represent because I'm a big believer that a zebra doesn't change its stripes, right? That the person that I saw publicly, even as a, as a youngster who I looked up to, yes, as an athlete, but I remember Gary being very philanthropic. I remember Gary being very involved specifically with the Leukemia Society. My younger sister uh, suffered from leukemia, so maybe that also made it a little, you know, closer of a knit based on, you know, his affiliation since I think his mother had passed away, but it was just one of those like all encompassing type of things, but he always had leadership. That was one thing about the Mets and that team in an 86, which I was in sixth grade. And that was my guy. Um, I, I, you know, there was an, there was a level of his leadership being the captain, all those kinds of things on the field, but the human being, he was off the field. And then, you know, sadly uh, passed away, uh, I guess about seven, eight years ago now from a brain tumor. And, and I think really only in his, his early to mid fifties, but I had a chance to interact with him and um, had a chance to host an event. And I remember how nervous I was because I didn't want, I didn't want that image of the boyhood idol. And I get a little emotional even thinking of it, but I didn't want the image of the boyhood idol to be burst. Right. I didn't want the way I viewed it to, um, be altered, right? Because we all have that, you meet your idol. And uh, I remember I walked into the locker room and they had him signing, him and a couple of other players and recognizable names if you're a baseball fan. So it was George Brett and Dave Winfield and Mike Schmidt and Johnny Bench. It was six Hall of Famers. It was unbelievable, the opportunity I got to host that event. And um, it was a home run hitting contest. And um, they were in a bad mood. They were in a bad mood as they should sitting there signing 300 baseballs. And I just remember having the feel. We talked about feel. This isn't the time. This is not the time to say, Hey, you were my favorite player. Hey, you know, uh, I'm the guy that's going to host the event. I gave him a little space in a little room and I introduced myself on the field before the event started. And then after it was over, he was so gracious and so kind that I was the broadcaster of the team too on the radio. And he came and he sat in the booth with me for an inning and I got to interview him and uh, it was unbelievable. And then he signed everything I had as a kid, jerseys, and he gave me the batting gloves he wore and he signed it all and he gave it all to me. And, you know, you can have the stuff and actually have his jersey signed, um, the, the Expos, which is a hard jersey to come by. Um, first player ever in the history of the Montreal Expos to go to the Hall of Fame. To have those things and then to have that 10 minutes on the air with them. And again, you could probably hear it in my voice because it's, it's, it's unbelievably emotional when you think back of the impact as he had on me as a kid, then to have that opportunity as an adult, and then kind of trying to take some of those life lessons. Um, he would be the guy. And then to have him you know, pass away so really early in his life, where I believe, based on what I do for a living, our paths would have crossed again. Um, it, it just, that would without question be the guy. Money aside, everything aside, that it would have been an absolute honor to represent him. But I'm very fortunate to represent so many guys, uh, so many players that in my my belief 
have so many characteristics of of who Gary Carter is or was, and um, and it's great. You know, I, I'm very proud to say I represent a lot of great a lot of great players, uh, both on the field, but quite frankly, better individuals off it. Got two more quick questions. By the way, that was beautiful because I, 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 I am a Gary Carter fan too. <laughs> um, growing up, I, I did do the, you know, the strawberry, the Dykstra. Like that was, <laughs> I, I was even from a Philly boy. I don't admit it. Probably never having a podcast, but I got two more questions and then we got to wrap up here. You bet. And, and, and I want short, short answers for you, but I, I can't promise let, I'll give I, you short I, answers. It's I, I, hard I'll, I'll even take a one word answer, but I know I'm going to want to know the answer to this. Pete Rose, Hall of Fame. Yes, but I think they will elect him into the Hall of Fame after he passes away because I think, unfortunately, there's going to be that penalty of they're not going to allow him to enjoy it and appreciate what he truly meant to the game based on you know the circumstances of the gambling. So he'll be a Hall of Famer. I just think, unfortunately, it's after he passes. Class of 2045 or something like that, right? Like some somewhere down the road. I don't think it'll be that long after, but unfortunately it, it'll be a little ways out. And um, I think that's how it's going to go down. If I had to make a prediction and we can roll back this tape one day, sadly, I think that's how it'll go. And last question here. And I think this is the most important thing that everybody wants to know. Darth Vader or Thanos? <laughs> Listen, Darth Vader is the ultimate villain and the most ultimate likable villain. Um He's arguably the greatest character ever scripted under any circumstance, any genre of TV, film, what have you. Uh, and I think, you know, how many villains out there do you see every single kid, boy or girl, want to be? Um, it's crazy. So he is, is number one. That is the difference between a child of the 80s and a millennial right there, ladies and gentlemen, is Darth Vader is the answer. That is the correct answer. That is the only answer. And for no other reason than James Earl Jones. That's and right. So um, Mark, thank you so much for this. I hope this is only round one. We've got so many things in here, but uh, I hope you guys had a chance to check this out. Mark, where can people go to learn more about you and, uh, you know, get some help? Soon it'll be a website under my name, but I don't want to put the cart before the horse. But right now, quite frankly, um, I do have a, a business uh, aside from being a sports agent. Uh, I hate to say if you Google my name, there's there's at least a few tabs that would come up uh, at the agency or some of the other endeavors. But perfect placement and it's spelt intentionally P-L-A-Y-C-E. M-E-N-T, perfect placement. I still get junk mail that says perfect play cement, but I guess it's another way to remember it. Uh, that is that is my um, my passion project, of uh, especially at the educational space. That is the easiest way to find me, get in touch with me, my phone number, my email, everything is there on that website and uh, focused on um, character and character issues, specifically with high school student-athletes. And that wraps up this episode of the Jeff Bradbury show. I'm certainly going to be walking away with something that's going to help me build up my EDU brand, help me out with my networking loyalty and hustle. I hope you have a chance to do that too. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to the show over at buildyouredubrand.com. You can of course find me on Twitter at Jeff Bradbury. We are here to help you guys build your EDU brand. And if you know anybody or yourself, that would be a great guest for the show. We would love to have it on and love to have you guys be featured. We're here to help you guys build your EDU brand, one blog post, one podcast, one chapter, one presentation at a time. So again, we want to say thanks to our good friend, Mark, for being on the show. 
And on behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to the TeacherCast Educational Network, hosted by Jeff Bradbury. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at TeacherCast or online at www.teachercast.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.